I'm going to talk about anxiety. I'm going to talk about depression. I'm going to talk about how that works. And um, I doubt there's a person alive who hasn't had a season of real depression, real anxiety, real heartbreak, real brokenness, when you literally feel like you cannot, how can you face the world? How can you get out of bed? How can you breathe? And how can you even take a phone call from a friend who loves you because you just don't even know? You don't want to have to tell the story again, or you don't want to, people are tired of hearing it, or whatever it is. And the first thing I want to say is, anxiety is normal. It's human. It's human. That is human. And I want to show you, everybody has seasons of mourning. Everybody has seasons of intense pain. Everybody. And, and I want to show you this, even Jesus, and being in agony, deeply distressed and anguished, almost to the point of death, he prayed more intently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. Some scholars say he literally sweat blood. This is right before you face the cross. If Jesus, who is part God, feels that type of anxiety, and of course none of us face the cross, but we face our own crosses, right? So the first time I ever really kind of felt that kind of feeling, I felt like ashamed that I was feeling that. There was shame. That came. And, and that's a horrible thing to have shame on top of the pain, right? So you, you just, and you feel like ashamed to tell anybody that you're hurting like that. And, you know, the, the shortest scripture in the Bible, which many of you know, is Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse. That's referring to Lazarus. When he got there and the ladies came out to greet him, he wept. He felt their pain. Now, he knew he was about to resurrect Lazarus. It wasn't a lack of faith. He knew a couple minutes later they were about to experience the greatest miracle of all. It wasn't a lack of faith. It wasn't a lack of faith when he went to the cross. It's that we feel pain. It is real and it is natural. And so I want to, first of all, just say we have to go through the moment of feeling the pain. Um, in the children of Israel, when, when like Moses died or different people the Lord prescribed a season of mourning. He said for 30 days you are to mourn. He prescribed a season of mourning because it was healthy for them to experience that emotion. So it's healthy to go through the emotion. But the difference is, as Christians, we don't stay there. And what I want to help you with today is moving out of that because we cannot stay there. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There might be a season. And, and like I said, in the Old Testament, God said 30 days. And then we've got to move on. You've got to heal. You have to move forward. And so this, this is about healing. This is about moving forward in strength. Joy comes in the morning. And I'm going to talk about how to get to joy. Um, we also see Jesus overcame. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the perfect faith. He cried, sweat blood, uh, you know, in such distress. So we obviously know that's not a lack of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What means is that at some point he took his eyes off of what he was going to have to suffer and put his eyes on what he was going to gain. 
And that's what we have to move forward to. It says scorning the shame, which I just talked about the shame that can come along with these things, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners. This is the line. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What happens to us is that we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we have now moved from the natural emotion of feeling this moment of pain to a, a depression. When we lose heart, we have moved into depression, which is a very serious thing. It's a very heavy thing. Um, I have a definition of depression here. Um, depression is the most complicated of all emotions, and yet one of the most common psychological problems a person can experience. Someone has called it the common cold of the emotions. It's a feeling of gloom or sadness that is usually accompanied by a slowing down of the body. It's not just in the mind, but it's experienced throughout the whole body. Depression is systemic. Depression affects everything. And listen, I don't have to tell you guys. I mean, 2020, I mean, talk about the riots, the election, the, the division, the hatred. The, I mean, we've never seen times like this. And we know that people don't know what to do with it. They're doing the best they can. They're buried under it. And they don't know how to rise above it. We have the power not just to rise above it, but to help others rise above it. And, you know, it's really turning into life and death. And it's not just life and death for us. It's life and death for our children. It's life and death. And we are the light of the world. And we are the salt of the earth. And we have to understand that there is power available to us. So we have answers today. And that's what I'm excited to tell you. There's a scientific thing about depression that, is, that has been proven that's so cool, and I want to read the scripture to you. A happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. I'm going to show you the science behind both of those. In his book, Norman Cousins described his rigorous recovery from the painful collagen illness that rendered him immobile, nearly incapable of moving. His doctor and longtime friend, Dr. William Hitzig, put it to him bluntly, only one of every 500 people diagnosed with this affliction fully recover. To beat these odds, he quickly decided he needed to actively pursue why his body was reacting the way it was and how to reverse the damage. He concluded that a recent extreme stressful situation had rendered his immune system vulnerable. Then the task before him was simple. He needed to restore his immune system. He just needed to figure out how. Relying on previously read books on the subject, he learned that negative emotions such as frustration or suppressed rage are linked, which we have a lot of both of those right now floating around, right, are linked to adrenal exhaustion. Therefore, cousins assume the opposite to be true, that positive emotions, love, hope, faith, laughter, and confidence would yield salutary results. However, cousins knew that putting positive emotions to work is not as simple as turning on a garden hose. Additionally, the pain medicine he was being administered, roughly 38 pills per day, 
He learned that this medication was destructive and promoted internal bleeding. He refused the medication, and to combat the unbearable pain, he requested Marx's brother's candid camera and selections from, from sub-treasuries of American humor. He quickly discovered that nearly 10 minutes of induced hearty laughter would produce about two hours of painless sleep. The results were clear. After a season of laugh therapy, Cousins experienced little to no pain in day-to-day -day living. He relied on the often overlooked medication of laughter to mentally cure his condition, and he lived to the age of 75. That's amazing. The Bible tells us. A happy heart is good medicine. A joyful mind causes healing. It also tells us this other part. Depression from ongoing stress weakens the bones, making osteoporosis more likely, a new study shows. The research notes a mind-bone link. The finding points for the first time to depression as an important element in causing bone mass loss and osteoporosis. A broken spirit dries up the bones scientifically proven. So, I mean, the Bible knows what it's talking about. The Bible knows what it's doing to us. The Bible knows how to solve it. And this is not what God wants for us. This is not what God wants for us. So, what we find is joy is the answer to depression. Joy is the answer to anxiety. And this is going to be the hard part right here. It says, do not worry be worried or grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy gives us strength. And there's many, many, many commands in the Bible, do not be worried or grieved. That's a commandment. The first thing we have to know is that we are not powerless. It's wonderful to feel like you are not powerless. And God gives us a command, don't be worried or grieved. And then it says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. So we're going to unpack this because easier said than done, right? What we know is Jesus is highly, highly committed to our happiness, our joy. It says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I honestly did not know this about Jesus until I had been a Christian for a very, very, very long time. I didn't know that he cared. I thought, I thought like, if I was not dying, I should just be, that should be enough for him. Like, he didn't really care about abundant life. You know, I, I couldn't believe it when this hit me the first time. He cares about fullness of life. I thought just surviving was supposed to be enough. And when I realized that, that God, I mean, he died so we can have abundant life, full life, joyful life, free of the anxiety and stress. Although we're going to feel it, we don't stay there. We get free of it. He is the one whose heart is perfect and the one who actually paid a significant and sufficient price to settle every broken issue on planet Earth. That is the truth. That is the truth of the gospel. There is not one situation that is outside of his reach or outside of his compassion. It is settled. Whatever we're dealing with, it's not out of his reach. It's not out of his caring or his compassion. The situation is settled. The situation is settled. Now, there's going to be things we have to do, 
And there are things that God's going to do. And we're going to work through all this. But we are bombarded 24-7. We are bombarded 24-7 with information. Some of the information we get is downright evil. Some of the information is just sucks at your emotion, your mental capacity. And I don't believe that we can just barricade ourselves away. I don't believe that we can just live in ignorance. And I mean, I'm not somebody who leaves the news on all the time, but I stay informed. I don't feel like it's okay for me to just pretend. I don't feel like denial is actually faith. I don't feel like living in denial is faith. I think we have to, we have to know what's happening and then charge at it with faith and confidence. But, but, you know, learning how to look at situations through the lens of God instead of the, through the lens of man. And by the way, every time we get information, it's through the lens of a man because somebody's telling it to us. So we get a man's perspective, a man's opinion. Every bit of information is filtered through man. We have to take what has been given to us and refilter it through the Lord's perspective, what God says about it. And so that's a lifelong process in, in so many ways. This scripture is such a comfort to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He, that's a statement. That's a promise. That's not a maybe or a question mark. He says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. He says, let me teach you. So it's something we learn. He will give us rest, but we have to learn how to do it. Because I am humble and gentle of heart. You will find rest for your soul. He says, you will find rest for your soul. It's not a maybe. He says, if you will let me teach you, you will find rest for your soul. I mean, this is such a, I remember clinging. Some of these scriptures I'm going to give you, I remember just clinging to this. He's promised me rest. You will find rest. And that is such a promise. And we know God, the scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie. He'll never make a promise he doesn't keep. But he's going to teach us because it doesn't just fall on us. It doesn't just fall on us. There's a process to this. I think probably most of you know this scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be ever to all. Which, by the way, first of all, when you're stressed and anxious, you lose your gentleness. You're edgy and stippy and, you know, as soon as there's stress in my household, you know, the edge comes up. You know, we're snapping at each other. So it's interesting that he, I mean, there's a reason he says gentleness because when we're living in joy, we can be gentle. As soon as we're living under stress, we're snarling at each other. The Lord is near. Here's the command again. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything, anything, anything. It's a command. If he's giving us a command, it means we have control over this thing. We are not subject to it. We have authority over it. But we're going to learn how to have authority over it. By prayer and petition, but in every situation. Again, these are big words. Anything. Every situation. I mean, he's making sure that that we can't in our mind justify thinking, well, he doesn't have this one. This one might be too big. This one's too overwhelming. He says, anything in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving Present your request to God, and then there's a promise again. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning he gives us peace that doesn't even make sense. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's so deep, it's so sufficient, and it's so powerful that it doesn't even make sense. 
And here it says, this is so important, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, it's our heart and our mind that go back and forth. Our mind tells our heart, our heart tells our mind, our mind tells our heart. And it is this loop that that literally keeps us in perpetual pain. Our heart hurts us. Something hurts our heart. Then our mind moves into anger or, or hurt or resentment or, you know, fill in the blanks. And, and what this says, and I'm going to move on to the next part, but it says, well, guard your heart and mind. That word guard is actually a word for garrison, is what the actual Greek original is. And what that meant, it's, it's a, it's a um, term that was used for the army. It meant that, that they would make a circle around somebody back to back to back with their swords out, their backs to you, all around you, protecting you. It literally means there will be soldier angel armies in a circle around you, protecting you, guarding, guarding, guarding your heart and your mind. We need our hearts and our minds guarded. There's so much. We need it guarded. And this is how, and of course, it tells us partly how. Partly it's how we're going to think. Whatever, think of it. Finally, brothers and sisters, think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So first of all, what are you going to dwell on? What are you going to focus on? What are your thoughts going to be on? Are your thoughts going to be on how he hurt you, she hurt you? Are your thoughts going to be on what's happening in the, you know, COVID situation, what's happening in the, I don't know, fill in the blank. My goodness, there's so many. Or are you going to say, I'm going to pray about that. I can't tell you how much I pray about things. I'm going to pray about that because you saw Jesus, what he, it said he did, he prayed. And what does it say here? Um, pray, pray and be thankful. So you pray about it. You put it at Jesus' feet, and then you've got to walk away from it. That's all you can do about it. Unless there's something physically you can do, drop it. You've got to put it down. Um, I remember I would read this. Um, so, you know, I went through obviously some very extreme depression in these dark years I told you guys about. I mean, I couldn't sleep. And I, I have insomnia. I'm third generation insomniac. I mean, I just don't sleep. But this is like extreme. This is extremely like, this is over the top. And I saw doctor after doctor after doctor, and they tried all kinds of sleeping pills during this hard time. <clears throat> Finally, this doctor said, you need an antipsychotic drug because your brain won't shut down. I couldn't put, I, I was so wound up about my life and what's going to happen and how it's going to work out. I couldn't put it down. And I, and I was going through this spiritual transformation at the time I would hear this scripture, and I'm like, I hear you saying don't be anxious about anything. I just don't know how to do it. I want to do it. I don't want to be in this position, but I don't know how to get out of it. And I would, re- I would hear this, and I'd be like, I'm praying night and day. Well, I was praying night and day, and when I was praying, all I was doing was regurgitating my problem. I actually didn't have any faith in my prayer. I was just literally focusing constantly on the problem. I wasn't giving it to God. So then I heard, okay, well then with Thanksgiving. So I literally was like, okay, you keep the Thanksgiving journal. So I'd write down all my praises all the time. And that wasn't working. So I set my alarm for every hour and I would stop and be like, thank you God for this. Thank you God for that. I mean, I, I, I did the parts I knew to do. But what I learned is there's a whole process to this. This is not like, like, like the man. He, it's not a faucet you turn on. 
It's a process. It's a process of healing. It's a process of learning God's power. It's a process of learning to trust. It's a process of faith. But what I can tell you is that this verse is true and that he is faithful. And that what I thought when I thought my life was over, my very best and happiest years were ahead because I became powerful in God because I learned the truth of how to live these things. And so we established the fact that anxiety is normal. But what I want to tell you is living joyfully is not normal. It's supernatural. And we need supernatural power to live in the power of joy, and it is available to us because God says it is, and if he says it is, there's no He can't lie. He has to give us the peace he promises. He has to take the anxiety from us. He has to because he's promised. So it, it, if we're stuck there, we're missing something that he has to offer, and maybe it's a process we need to go through because I had to go through a lot of healing. I had things that I had shoved aside that I needed to be able to bring out, lay at Jesus' feet, let him heal it, and rise back up again instead of denial, denial, denial. I thought that denial was part of strength. Like I said, turns out not so much. Okay, so there's some formulas here. I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will, a guarantee, a promise, he can't lie. If he says it, it is. You will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there is a formula. Hope leads to faith. Faith leads to confidence. And when we have confidence in the situation, how it's going to turn out, there's joy. I'm going to say it again because it's so important. Do you, do you remember when it talked about Jesus and it said so that you don't give up hope? Because the very first piece is having hope that God is going to turn this thing around somehow. We don't know how, but he's going to work it for good. We don't know how, but he's going to do it. And I remember, you know, the, the dark days of coming through this thing with my husband when I was being healed. God was healing me. And the Lord had told me, you were to stay with your husband. Um, you know, I really wanted him to let me leave him, and I'm so glad I didn't. He's the joy and love of my life. He's my heart. But I, I could have never imagined I could feel this way, that he could be the person he is today. It was impossible for him to be the person he is and me to be the person I am and for us to have the marriage. And people would say to me all the time, Steph, you're never going to get that in that man. It's never going to happen with that man. And I would just say over and over again, I have no idea how it's going to happen. I really hope it's not with that man, quite frankly. I mean, I was very honest. I just know that God has promised to give me the desires of my heart. God is going to give me the wholeness. I have a godly desire for a, a godly, loving relationship. I am going to obey God. He told me to stay put. I'm going to let God work it out. And listen, God tells people different things. So that was what my answer was. My answer was staying put. So I'm not putting that on anybody else. But the point is, that's what he asked me to do. I listened to what he told me to do. And I'm like, God's giving it to me. See, I... All of a sudden, what happened is I started learning that God was faithful to his promises, and nothing could shake me loose of trusting that. And because I knew God was going to give me the desires and secret petitions of my heart because it says if I delighted in him, he would do it, and he won't break his promise to me, I had hope. And because I had hope, it gave me faith. And because I had faith, I had confidence 
that God would do what he said he was going to do, and then I had joy. And it was three years when Dave didn't change, not a bit. And I was in peace. I was in joy. I was in strength. I was charging forward. I was changing people's lives. I went from being the woman who had to be on psychotic drugs. They weren't even sleeping. I mean, they were like antipsychotics. They were strong drugs to try to sleep maybe two or three hours. Which, by the way, sometimes you need a, uh, whoops, sometimes you need a bridge. You know, I mean, I'm grateful for it. It helped me get through a season. But when I found my feet underneath me, when I found the truth of the scripture, I didn't need it anymore. And not only did I not need that anymore, but I became so strong. And let me tell you, the turnaround was pretty fast. Once I believed God's promises and was so confident that God was going to do it somehow, with somebody, some way, it wasn't even about the person. God was going to give me a full, happy life because he died to give me an abundant life. I didn't have to doubt it anymore. I didn't have to hang on to it anymore. I had hope that overflowed. I had confidence that overflowed. It's a healing that can happen pretty fast. Pretty fast. I mean, it's amazing kind of how, now, there were processes of things that had been broken in my heart and mind that I had to go back to and apply the blood of Jesus to and and either receive forgiveness or give forgiveness or receive healing, you know, hurt spots. So, you know, there's still a process to some of this stuff. But we don't have to stay in this thing. It's amazing. So, again, the, the, the formula hope leads to faith, faith leads to confidence, confidence leads to joy. We see this. My heart is confident in you, O oh God. No wonder I can sing of your praises with all my heart, opposite of depression, right? I will thank you, Lord. I will sing your praises for your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. We've talked a lot about being able to receive God's love. If we can't receive his love, we can't be free to trust his promises. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. He will be faithful to me. Now rescue your beloved people. Answer and save us by your power. So obviously this person is in a distressful situation. This isn't somebody who's everything perfect, right? They're praising, they're confident, but there's something very stressful happening because it's saying, rescue us, save us by your power. So it's not like everything's perfect, but it says, please help us against our enemies for all human help is, use, is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things for he will trample down our foes. Here's the thing. First of all, a lot of the anxiety that we feel has to do with people. A lot of anxiety has to do with people, how they're treating us, how they're not treating us, if they're acknowledging us, not acknowledging us, if they've hurt us, if, they've, if we've done them wrong. I mean, there's so many different angles, but people relationships, when we lay down the people stuff, when we lay down the need either for their approval or, you know, if we've done wrong, we make it right and we move on. You know, we, we, we say we're like, whatever it is, but People's help is useless. You know, one of the biggest fears of all humans is being alone. Being alone is because we think if we're alone, we're helpless. We feel afraid of being alone. But it says we have what we need. God's help. With God's help, we'll do many things. We don't need the people. We don't, I mean, he puts us in community. Obviously, we're here together today. He wants us to have community. He wants us to have love. But sometimes we don't have it because those people are not doing what they're supposed to do. And we feel like we're victims. If that person doesn't do what they're supposed to do, then I am now a victim to their bad behavior. God says, no, you're not. I set you free of that. It was the most freeing thing in the world when I realized that I was no longer dependent 
on human behavior for my happiness. I was like, and, and by the way, I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't mad at him. I just didn't have to have it to be whole because God said he would do mighty things. I love this one. Well, let me just read it. Do not fear anything, for I am with you. Do, again, fear anything. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. Here we go again with the strength. See, God gives strength through joy. I will strengthen you. Be assured I will help you. I will certainly take hold of you with my righteous right hand. A hand of justice, a power of victory, salvation. Indeed, all those who are angry with you, people. So somebody's mad at you, does it crush you? It says, look at this. Indeed, all those who are angry with you will be put to shame and humiliated. Those who strive against you will be as nothing and will perish. You will search for those who quarrel with you but will not find them. They who war against you will be as nothing, as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, keep hold of your right hand. I am the Lord who says, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid of whoever's mad at you. So the first thing we have to do when there's a situation is say, God, I need you to convict me if I'm wrong. You know, King David learned not to trust his own conscience, right? He said, search me, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. So first thing we have to do is not be so righteous in our own eyes because we're so blind to ourselves. But say, God, am I culpable? And the Holy Spirit will tell you. He will tell you. You will feel the conviction. If the Holy Spirit, if your conscience is clear, God says, put it down. I'll deal with it. See, what we like to do is ruminate on what they've done, how they've hurt us, how wrong they are. When we do that, God's like, okay, you can do that, but then I'm not handling it. But if you will cast your cares on me, if you will let me teach you how to walk in peace, if you will let it go and be like, I don't have to control this situation. I can't, I, I, I've said what I needed to say. You know, it's not an excuse for avoidance. We have to deal with things in honesty. We have to speak the truth in love. But once we've done that, we're not culpable anymore. I can't tell you how this has freed me. I can't tell you. And can I tell you, I have lived this way for, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. And can I tell you, I can't believe, I can't believe the powerful way God's doing. I have miraculous stories after miraculous stories. And, and 99% of them, God has brought back. And they have come back to me and said, I'm sorry. They have come back and, and I never, the Lord just dealt with it. I was continued to be kind. Doesn't mean, now, it doesn't mean you don't back up a minute. I mean, I don't, I don't do dysfunction anymore. So it, the crazy train does not go through my front door. If you want help, I'll help you. But see, what the difference is is people who don't want help. People who are saying, I demand that you participate with my bad behavior. And I'm like, no, not doing that anymore. But I love you. Here's a casserole. You know, like, I mean, I'm not mad at you. But... You know, but, and, and sometimes it's in our own household, and that's harder, because, like, it, for me, it was in my own household. And I just had to love on him. I mean, I treated him so much better when I let it go. I could love him. I didn't need it. I didn't need it, because God promised me he would deal with it. Let the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Let me tell you something. I want to be righteous. Because I want the promises. I want to live the righteous, godly life of faith and love because it says what I desire will be granted. This is one of the scriptures I clung to. God promised me to grant it. When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Now, we see that constantly. 
The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The hope of the righteous brings joy. Hope leads to faith, which leads to confidence, which leads to joy. It starts with hope, it ends with joy. There's a whole process. You see it constantly in Scripture, but the hope of the wicked comes to nothing. So we want to be clean, right? We want to live right with God because the promises are so beautiful. Do not worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Again, this is when somebody is doing you wrong. It's ungodly. Their behavior is ungodly. This is where we get tangled up. Well, they're doing, they're doing wrong to me, and I have to fight and defend myself. God, my theory says don't worry about it. Yeah, they are doing wrong. They are totally doing wrong. He's not pretending like they're not doing wrong by you. He's just saying you don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. I, you don't need to worry about it. Um, commit everything you do to the Lord so that you have to do your part. You've got to commit yourself to the Lord. Trust him. Here we go again with the faith. And he will help you. So there's a part you have to do. You can't, you have to do the part that's your part. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He promises to help you. But first you've got to give it to him. First you've got to lay it down. You can't carry it around. Then you've got to trust him to turn it around, and then he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. I cannot tell you how many times God has done this for me. I have confronted something when somebody has been dead wrong, and I've spoken the truth, and they've been so vicious and angry with me and whatever, and I'm like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm telling you the truth based on the word of God. And then I leave it. And I, I, I can't tell you, it's so amazing. God shows them. God will show them that you're innocent. God will show them that you're right. And guess what? If he doesn't, it's amazing how they fade away and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so. You're not in pain over it. You're not in agony over it. He gives them a choice. Anyway, it says, so let me just, so your innocence will radiate like the dawn and justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Anxiety is the opposite of being still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. I'm going to circle back to that piece. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. So sometimes it looks like they're winning for a while. Don't worry about that. Stop being angry. When we are angry, we are in depression and anxiety. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm, harm of yourself, harm of your other relations, harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. The wicked plot against the godly. So, yeah, they are against you. Sometimes people are all out against you. It's not like he, but he says they snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord laughs. For he sees their day of judgment coming. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. It's not saying hard times won't come. It's just saying that we're not going to be disgraced or ashamed. And even if famine comes, we will have more than we need. By the way, Psalm 37, I had that whole psalm memorized. I would say that psalm to myself every single day. And it, it, I can't read it in the Amplified Version. Look up Psalm 37 in the Amplified Version. It is life. I want to, again, I wanted to do the whole thing, and I just had to cut it down. But another thing we're anxious about is our safety. The Lord, aside from people, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? 
Really, he's like common sense. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and those foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart, again, it's the heart and the head, will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Again, it's confidence. So if someone attacks you, and we don't have armies attacking us at this point in American history, but we have people attacking us, if I'm attacked, I'm going to remain confident. Even if a, a, a mighty army surrounds me, I am not afraid, even for my safety. I have to tell you, this has been something during COVID. And I was like, I don't have to live in fear of this thing. I don't have to live in fear. It's amazing. Even if my father and mother abandon me, again, this is about people who disappoint you, the Lord will hold me close. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living, this isn't just like about heaven. You know, we like to be like, oh, we'll see God's goodness in heaven. He's like, you to see God's goodness here. Again, wait patiently for the Lord. There's a lot of waiting in this process. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. You're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to be patient. And you're going to have to be courageous. But God's going to come through. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has come to my salvation. I mean, the, the scriptures are abundant. The Lord is my strength and my impenetrable shield. We talked about that shield that goes all around us. He's protecting us from whoever, whatever. Sickness, people, whatever, it doesn't matter. He's our shield. My heart, here we go again with the heart trust with unwavering confidence there we go with the confidence again in him and i am helped so there's a part we do we put our trust in him we're confident in him and then you're helped therefore my heart greatly rejoices now you've got the joy and my and with my song i will thank him and praise him the lord is their unyielding strength and he is the fortress of salvation to his anointed he is our strength I mean, our strength comes from him. If we will have hope, if we will have confidence, if we trust his promises, we will, instead of being, you know, in the fetal position, we will be strong. We're going to rise up and be like, it doesn't matter what's coming. And we need that right now more than anything. You know, one of the lies that we hear so much is that if you just have enough confidence in yourself, we hear this all the time, if we just have enough confidence in ourselves, the problem is, we all know that smoke and mirrors. We know that smoke. And, I mean, really, have, I don't have power over this. I don't have power over COVID. I don't have power over the election. I don't have power over, over my husband or even my child. I don't have power over a lot of these things. So how is confidence in myself the solution? It's smoke and mirrors. It's, it's unkind because, to me, this, that's the most unkind thing because it puts the pressure on you. Well, you're just not doing enough. If you were doing more, well, the fact is, it's out of my hands. It's too big. It's psychobabble that's made its way into, and by the way, I'm not against psychology. My uncle's a psychologist. My father does counseling. I do counseling, not stuff. But I believe that the Bible is the answer. And we don't know that, that these things that have snuck into sermons, we think they're somehow in the Bible somewhere. There's not one scripture, not one scripture. I have read from the front to the back of the Bible, I don't know how, over and over and over again, so many times I don't have a count. There's not one scripture 
that says trust in yourself, depend on yourself. If you have enough confidence in yourself, you know, it's all about your own. It's not, doesn't exist and it's exhausting to think that if you just have enough self-something, self-focus, think about yourself more, all about you, that is empty. That is an empty, empty philosophy and it leads to destruction. This, I want to show you, this is what happens when people focus on themselves. The people refused to enter the pleasant land, let's talk about the children of Israel, for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. So here's the story. You guys know the story. The children of Israel. God's like, I'm going to take you straight out of slavery, put you straight into blessing. I'm going to give you the blessing. All you have to do is trust me. I'm going to do it for you. And it says they wouldn't enter it because they wouldn't believe his promises to care for them. Because they wouldn't believe his promises, they didn't receive it. So why did they not receive the blessing that God promised them? Because they didn't trust the promise. And here we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to read exactly word for word what happens. And you're going to see it's because they were, look, they were trusting in themselves. As soon as they trusted themselves, they lost the blessing. They lost the promise. Here it is. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land because Caleb had the faith. We certainly can conquer it because he trusted the promises. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. And by the way, they were. They were absolutely stronger than them. Here it was a bunch of people who had been slaves like a week ago. They were absolutely stronger. They're right. They were stronger. These situations are bigger than us. We're not pretending when we say it's too big for us. We're not saying, we're not pretending when we say it's impossible. It is impossible. They were right. It was impossible. The problem is they were looking at themselves. It says, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report, this lack of faith about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Look at this. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought of us too. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. See, the problem is they were looking at them. We looked small. I looked small to me. I looked at this problem. The problem is bigger than me, and I know I'm not sufficient for this problem. So I run in fear. When in reality, God's like, yeah, you're right. You're not sufficient for the problem. I am. You're not supposed to think about who you are. You're not supposed to think about what you have to offer. You're not supposed to think about yourself. This is, no. If, if they just would have trusted his promise, they would have been in the promised land. And, of course, we know that none of these people ever experienced the promised land except for the two people who trusted God's promise that day. Only two people out of a million that were there, and I think they think men and women and children were about a million, and only two, because those two people didn't look at themselves. They said, God's big enough. God can do it. I trust God's promise. But everybody else, look at the percentage. Two in a million, plus, plus Moses, so three in a million, trusted God's promise. So a lot of times we're going to be really alone when we're saying, this is not a problem. God's got this. This is not, I can't tell you how much in 2020 I've been like, this is not a problem. I'm not, I, I mean, this is not a problem. COVID, God's got this. The elections, God's got this. I, what, I fill in the blank, but let me tell you something. God prepared me because in 2019, when my mom was declared with cancer 
and I had a bunch of things happen with my business. I had so many bad things happen in 2019 that God prepared me because when those things were hitting me, I think I had a little season of peace, a little, not, I mean, not, not even really, but those were big, big things. Those were things that knocked me down. And every time I got back up, I was knocked back down. And I had a lot of hits in a row, big, hard hits. And every time I, I felt like one of those punching bags. And I just crumbled at one point. So much so that I went to the hospital with my mom. My mom had a very painful procedure. They had to take bone out of her back. And she, the cancer had eaten four inches out of her back. Which, by the way, God has restored those four inches. It is a miracle. She lost four inches for an entire year, and it's back now. They, they measure her every time she goes in. Only God. So here it is a couple years later, the four inches that was eaten out of my mom. My mom didn't die. You know, at first the prognosis looked horrible. She was in horrible pain. She's not in pain anymore. The four inches is restored. You know, what I'm saying is you go through enough that you learn you know, I am not supposed to be carrying this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to trust God's promises. And however this goes, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to, I'm going to trust that God's going to bring good from it. And I could, so, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you it's like we always get the happy ending, you know, but there's purpose in everything, you know. So, but the fact is there is good in it. But we don't trust in ourselves. That's the thing we don't do. And here's the thing. Joy is something we have to fight for. Christians are supposed to be fighters. I don't know where we thought that we sit in our lazy chairs and click the remote and this stuff just falls on us. Listen, we're not that kind of parents. We know that our children need to work for things to appreciate them, that work is an important part of raising up children. And there is work involved. It's not all our work. Some of it's God's work, which I'm going to talk about. But there are things we have to do, which is take every thought captive. You know, there are things we have to do. Like, you know, and and here we have the Apostle Paul. He said, I have fought the good fight. He says, it's a fight. Then he says to Timothy, which, by the way, we need to teach our children this. Timothy was a young man. He was a teenager. I think he was like 15 or 16. He says, fight the good fight of true faith. You've got to be a fighter. You can't just wallow around in every bad thing you feel and every bad thing that's happening and then expect to have any kind of victory because you will not. We have to fight for it. And I pray that we teach our children to be fighters. I pray that, you know, when, when COVID first hit and the kids were at home and everywhere we would go, I would have somebody with a very morose, heavy, how is Reagan doing? Is she, you know, depressed? Is she? I said, no, she's not depressed. I'm raising her to be an overcomer. Life happens. We're alive. Thank you, God. You know, we have food. We have a roof. She is learning to adjust and adapt because this is life. And you know what? We're going to be careful. We need to be careful. But the fact is, we're not going to live in like, okay, we're going to do what we have to do. It's going to be, you know, it's in God's hands. It's not in our hands. Um, and here we know that we're called to be fighters because we know that it says that we're supposed to put on the armor. Here we go. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong. Be powerful. It's what we're called to be. It's a commandment, not a suggestion. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So we put on armor because we're in a fight. Obviously, we wouldn't need armor if we weren't supposed to be in war. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so 
you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. There is going to be times of evil in our life, lots of them. Then after the battle, means you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to go through the battle. You're going to have to fight. You will be standing firm. Stand your ground. And then it talks about the, the, the armor of God, which probably most of you know, but it starts with the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, which protects your mind, the shoes of peace. Without peace, you can't even stand up straight. We've got to have peace. Peace makes us be able to stand. So, but we're going to have to fight for it. We have to fight for peace. We have to fight for it in the spirit realm, not in ourselves. You know, and that's, that's where we have to learn. And one thing we have to understand, what, why are we fighting? The reason we're fighting is because there is usually a gap between the incident and receiving the promise. There is a waiting period. There is, like, I mean, a very, very, very rare occasion when you don't have to wait but almost always there is a season of waiting. And this is where we lose it. We start out strong, and in the end, it's great to rejoice in the victory, but in the middle is when we lose it. This is when we grow weak, and we've got to learn to fight for the waiting. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, so here we go. Here's the process. A bad thing is happening, and we're considering it an opportunity for great joy. It's the opposite of what's natural. We don't live in a natural way. The opposite. For you know that when your faith is tested, again, it's about faith, and it will be tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing and needing nothing. So here's the thing. Short-term pain, long-term gain. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We have to understand that in the process there is a fight, and you've got to fight it, and when you do, at the end you lack nothing. It's worth it. It's like childbirth. We understand there's some pain, but then afterwards we're so grateful that we went through that process and saw it through. It requires, it requires fighting for your peace in the waiting. We, have, um, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have the endurance and patience you need. If we didn't need endurance and patience, if we got everything right away, we wouldn't need endurance and patience. He's saying you've got to have strength. May you be filled with joy always. So here you see strength, endurance, patience, you'll have joy if you have faith. Abraham is a father of faith, and this is this scripture. Oh, my goodness, this scripture means everything in the world to me. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. I could just stop there. I literally want to just stop there and camp on that. I mean, just take a minute. Against all hope, he didn't deny the facts. He didn't live in denial. He didn't live in pretend. He didn't put his head in the sand like an ostrich and say, I'm not going to know what's going on in the world. That's my definition of faith. No, he faced it. It was hopeless. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, but it was against all hope. It was impossible. And because he hoped and believed, he became what the promise said. The father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts. This, we like to ignore the facts and then call it faith. No, he faced the facts and didn't weaken in his faith. No weakness in his faith that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. He waited 100 years 
By the way, in those hundred years, he didn't get it all right all the time. Thank God. He, didn't, he was not called the father of faith because he always got it right. We know he messed up. You know, he gave Sarah away to two different kids twice and lied about her being his sister. Gave his wife away. Talk about not having faith. He learned from his mistakes. He became the father of faith. He wasn't born the father of faith. He evolved into it. So thank God, whatever you've messed up along the way, it doesn't matter because we evolved. He evolved into the father of faith. And then when he evolved into the father of faith, he was able to face the facts and he didn't forfeit his hope, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. Wavering, going back and forth, back and forth, trusting one minute, back into doubt. Trusting, doubt. Trust, no, he didn't waver. See, we think if we trust for a minute and then doubt and then trust, no, we've got to get out of that. He didn't waver. He didn't go back and forth regarding the promise of God. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He was strengthened through faith, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Whatever our situation, if we will be fully persuaded that God will do what he has promised, he will come through in the way that's best. And his best is different than ours sometimes, but it is best. I mean, where it looked so bad, and it was really a setup for so good. It's been something I've been um, meditating on a lot lately, especially with everything that's going on in our nation. Daniel in the lion's den looked so bad. He literally is thrown into the lions, and so he has to go through the hard thing. I mean, I can't imagine what it felt like. To, and because he wouldn't give it up on his faith, right? If he would have stopped praying in public, they wouldn't have had a, But he refused to give up on his faith. They throw him into the lion's den. The mouths of the lions are, are closed. And then his enemies, all these people who are trying to destroy him, are removed. It looked terrible, but it turned out for good. You, you've got Esther and Haman. Haman creates the gallows. He's going to kill Mordecai on. He has, he has decreed, gotten the king to decree that all the Jews are to be murdered. It looks impossible. It looks terrible. It was actually a setup to reverse the situation and all the enemies of the Jews are removed and the, the gallows are actually used to hang Haman, the evil man, instead of Mordecai, the godly man. But it looked really, really bad. It looked impossible. You've got the children of Israel, right? You've got Pharaoh behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. It looks impossible. But they're about to experience the greatest miracle in the world. I was thinking this week how, um, how did the Christians feel as they knew Saul, who was murdering Christians and was, was ripping them out of their homes and putting them in prison, and they know he's coming to them. You know, the fear they must have felt. They couldn't have imagined that what God was about to do, it was a setup for the greatest apostle. He wrote most of the Bible. A setup for greatness. So, so uh, impossible. And I have so many on here, I just know I can't do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into the fire. And when they come out, there's not even this stench of smoke on them. They don't even smell like their trial. I mean, it's, it, and, and then, then they're raised up. They were slaves before that. They were invisible to the king. The king had no idea who they were. They were raised up to high positions. What I'm saying is these things that we experience, if we will, if we will be honorable to God, if we, all these people did what God said to do, and by the way, if they didn't get it right, he would give them other opportunities like, like, like Abraham. So we've learned there's stuff we have to do. We have to give it to God. We have to trust and believe his promises. We've got to forfeit carrying this stuff. And then there's stuff that the Lord does. And this is what God does. 
it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy. Joy is the second thing. The Holy Spirit produces that fruit. The Holy Spirit. So we have to do our part, and God will do his part. We know that a fruit that comes from walking with the Holy Spirit is joy. He promises that. So we're going to want to let the Holy Spirit do in us, and that's the process. The process is drawing near to God. The process is knowing his promises well enough to stand on them. The process is immersing ourselves with him. I had to immerse myself so much in the promises of God to get out of the depression and pain I was in that I um, literally had a three-by-five cards and a ring that I carried with me everywhere I went. I was fighting for my life. What I didn't know is I was not just fighting for my life, but my family's life, and then a lot, a lot, a lot of other people's lives. I think Satan knew what I was fighting for. I couldn't have imagined it. You know, I didn't think in my wildest dreams I'd ever be teaching or doing any of this stuff. Um, And I look at the people across the years, and I'm like, okay, well, there was a big, big fight here. And like I said, it is a fight. But the way you fight it is in the power of God, focusing your mind completely on his promises. And I was so engrossed in the pain and had been living in the pain for so long, I couldn't let my mind be idle for a second because the second my mind was idle, I went to the fear. I went to the pain. I didn't know how to dig myself out. So the only way I could do it, I put scriptures on a three-by-five card. I had a ring of them. I carried them with me everywhere. I remember being in Whole Foods. They were sitting here, and I'm signing the receipt. I I literally, while they rang me up, I couldn't let my mind be idle because I was riddled with the anxiety and the pain and the hurt. I, if I was on hold, those three-by-five cards, I was reading God's promises, standing on his promises. It was the Holy Spirit doing the work in me. As I would focus on his word, he would strengthen me to know that he was for me and not against me. Uh, he would strengthen me to know that everything I had ever done right or wrong, it was really his power. It was really about him. I learned that it was the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. This is what we started with the scripture. But this is the part I want to focus on now. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, the hope comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the part he does. There's our part and his part, and together we get these glorious miracles. But we see all through scripture that man has, God doesn't just force his stuff on us. We always have a choice in it. Are we going to participate or aren't we? But when we do, the power comes by the Holy Spirit. Here we go. We're going to conclude, but this is just so powerful. You will show me the path of life, and mostly that's what we have anxiety about, right? What path of life we're going to be on. In your presence is fullness of joy. We get fullness of joy in his presence. We get peace in his presence. Here's the promise. Jesus said, I will provide for those who grieve in Zion, meaning Christians, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I used to claim this every day. God, you told me you'd give me beauty for my ashes. Oil of joy instead of mourning. I was so trapped in mourning, I did not know how to get out. You told me you give me joy for, your, for my morning, and boy, has he ever. The garment of praise 
instead of the, the spirit of despair. And guess what? It says they will be called oaks of righteousness. Oak is like the biggest, strongest tree, right? I have tons of them up in my front yard. They are, they soar. They're strong. Animals find refuge in them. I'm now an oak. When I used to be the acorn everyone was stepping on, but God did this. God did this. And all it takes, not perfection by any means, it takes trusting his promises. It trusts believing him. It takes all the things that he's promised, and he will make you an oak of righteousness where you are the branches that other people find refuge in. It's his promise. And every day, all you have to do is say, God, I trust you. You're going to turn my ashes to beauty. God, you're going to turn my mourning to joy. God, you're going to turn my spirit of despair to garments of praise. You're going to be clothed in praise. He keeps his promises. You will keep her in perfect peace if her mind is steadfast because she trusted you. There's a part you play. See, he'll do it if you do it. He will keep you in perfect peace, but your mind has to be steadfast because you trust his promises. You've learned the place of safety. You've learned that he is trusted. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, instead of being like, I can't face another day, I, can't, I just can't get out of bed, I can't. Instead, it's a day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in this day. He's here. He's with me. So here it is. Do not be worried or grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me just close in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, today, God, I just declare by faith today, God, chains be broken in the name of Jesus. Chains of despair, chains of hopelessness, Lord, change, Father God, that bind us to grief, to mourning, to despair, Lord God, to anxiety, to fear. In the name of Jesus, Father God, replace them with joy. Lord God, unspeakable joy, overwhelming joy, joy that cannot be explained. Holy Spirit, fall on this room, God. Holy Spirit, you are here among us, God. Give your daughters the oil of joy. Holy Spirit, anoint them, Father God. These are trying times, Father God, but joy is what gives us strength, God. You told us we will live in power. You told us we will live in strength. We are confident in you. We are confident in you for our relationships. We are confident in you for our, our protection. We are confident in you for our provision. Lord, whatever it is, God, you said you would turn it for good. We refuse to be in agreement with anxiety anymore. You will deal with when people are doing wrong to us. Lord, you will make our righteousness shine if we will trust in you and walk with you and obey you, God. Holy Spirit, you don't leave us where you, where you found us. You don't leave us brokenhearted. You raise us up. You put our feet on a firm foundation, God. You keep your promises, God. You are a promise keeper, God. Let your Holy Spirit fall in any area, whether it's the smallest area. Maybe they trust you with everything else but their children. Maybe they trust you with everything else but their husband. 
Maybe they trust with everything else but their finances or this or that. God, whatever it is, God. Lord, we trust you to keep us safe. We trust you to give us the wisdom we need. We trust you to guide our path, God. We trust you that you are for us and not against us. We trust you that you have forgiven us, God. We trust you, God, that our our slate is washed clean and that the power of the Holy Spirit is here for us, not just our neighbor, but for us, God. We trust, God, that when you say you will give us joy and give us beauty for ashes, and clothe us, Father God, in robes of righteousness to give us power and strength, God, that you will do it. We lay our burdens down, God. We're not going to carry it. We're not going to carry offense. We're not going to be mad. We're going to trust you to deal with the people that need to be dealt with, God. We're going to be loving and humble and kind. Because we trust in you, God. We trust in you, God. Nothing is too great for you. And with God, all things are possible. So whatever seems impossible, you laugh at. You laugh at the impossible. You say, it's perfect setup. I've been here before. I've been here before. Look at Daniel. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at Esther. Lord God, you take the impossible and you turn it around for good. Lord Jesus, I pray that the chains will break today, God. That the chains break, God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.